911, what's your emergency? America's healthcare system is broken and people are dying. Welcome to Code WAC, where we shine a light on our callous healthcare system, how it hurts us, and what we can do about it. I'm your host, Brenda Gazar. This time on Code Whack, it's been two years since the novel coronavirus hit U.S. shores, and incredibly, the world is now facing a fifth surge of cases. The deadly Delta variant is giving way to the Omicron variant, and scientists are struggling to keep up with the science and the quickly evolving data. Here in America, more than 820,000 people have died of COVID-19, and tragically, the number of cases and deaths continue to grow. In April of 2020, we interviewed Dr. Tony Eiten of the California Endowment about our new normal. While we now have COVID vaccines that offer significant protection, his early observations about what we can expect going forward are as striking and as pertinent as ever. Just as important are his concerns about the often harmful economic incentives of our corporate healthcare system and their impact on our ability to prepare for future pandemics. We're revisiting that discussion in honor of our 102nd episode and in light of this ongoing pandemic that's hitting our most vulnerable the hardest. Thank you for listening. We have Dr. Tony Eiten again with us. He's the Senior Vice President for Healthy Communities at the California Endowment, a statewide health foundation, and he previously served for seven years as Director of Alameda County's Public Health Department. Welcome to Code WAC, Dr. Eiten. Thank you. What can you tell us about these kinds of viruses, and what can we expect going forward? We know that for a variety of reasons, including climate change, we're going to be facing epidemics and possibly pandemics of zoonotic infections that generally are viruses that live in a reservoir, typically a wild animal reservoir. Because we're cutting down forests and and bringing wild animals into markets and just encroaching upon wild spaces, human beings are coming much more into contact with these reservoirs of wild viruses. And those viruses are making the leap into humans. And when they do, they're now in a space where there's no immunity. And so they can move very quickly. And that's what happened with SARS and MERS and and now COVID-19. Climate change is forcing a lot of those kind of interactions, both from people consuming wood and and deforesting wild environments, as well as temperature change, which is driving wild animals in search of food or in search of water into closer contact with human beings. And of course, you have vectors like mosquitoes and rodents and, and the like, which can also facilitate the transmission of these viruses from animals to humans. So as climate change progresses, we'll likely see an increase in threats to our health. How should we respond? What health policies and practices should we consider? Well, we have to essentially build up our defenses, which is our public health system. The failures that we had in this outbreak in testing supplies, it was not the first time we've seen that. We saw these very same failures in 2009. Didn't have the same consequences, but the delays in CDC and the federal government authorizing tests and facilitating uh, testing standards to get to public health labs and then to private labs happened exactly the same way in 2009. It's like deja vu. 
H1N1 ended up a good deal less destructive than coronavirus. So we need to fortify our public health defense structures and make sure that we have adequate both the public health personnel as well as the laboratory capacity and the kinds of immediate response mechanisms that allow for information, surveillance information to come from a place like China or Africa or South America or even in the United States to quickly rise up and be flagged centrally so that we can trigger the kinds of public health defense responses that are necessary. Regarding surveillance and tracking, could having Medicare for All help? If it's designed right, we'd have to design our system to be tightly you know, wedded to a good public health system, particularly for purposes of surveillance and for purposes of doing disease control, res- responsive practices like vaccination. And you know, if there are therapeutics that need to be created to, to treat people quickly in the event of an emergency, we could design our system to be much more effectively guided by public health goals as opposed to just treatment goals. Thank you. Are there other ways that Medicare for All could help Americans respond to public health crises like this one? This is the big question. You know, what are the incentives in our healthcare system today? And disproportionately, even for the not-for-profit ones, but disproportionately, those incentives are an economic bottom line. For the not-for-profit ones, it's it's basically survival in a competitive market. For the for-profit one, it's shareholder value. If that's the goal of your system, your system is not going to want to make the kinds of investments in redundant capacity that's necessary for something like a pandemic. It's not going to want to make the kind of investments that are necessary for public health surveillance. All of that is essentially eating away at its bottom line. So those aren't those aren't the things that these systems are going to try to optimize. If you take the profit motive out, as does Medicare for all, you know, out of the, you know, the healthcare insurance industry and to some extent out of the uh, providers hand. I mean, you, you still will have private providers participating in this in the single payer system. But for the most part, if you can construct incentives to try to improve health as opposed to try to maximize profits, then yes, you know, Medicare for all can actually serve to uh, better prepare us in the event of a pandemic because folks will be thinking we need to have some extra capacity for ventilators or the ability to move some of our beds into ICU beds in the event of a pandemic because our goal now is to improve health, not just to profit. Thank you so much, Dr. Eiten. Do you have a personal story you'd like to share about our WAC healthcare system? Contact us through our website at heal-ca.org. Find more Code WAC episodes on ProgressiveVoices.com and on Nurse Talk Media. You can also subscribe to Code WAC wherever you find your podcasts. This podcast is powered by Heal California, uplifting the voices of those fighting for healthcare reform around the country. I'm Brenda Gazar.